welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Tension, the Struggle is Real. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm Alex, and I've been living with the Caches since the end of August last year. And I'm just excited to share with you guys today my story of how I ended up here in Georgia. Because if you don't know, I met Tim and Barb out in Colorado. We like to joke and say they found me out there. (laughs) I'm originally from Indiana, but was spending my summer out serving at a camp, a Christian family camp called Wind River Ranch out in the beautiful mountains in Estes Park, Colorado. So literally, I was on a mountaintop all summer, but on the inside, I felt like I was going through a valley season because I had just graduated from college, but I really didn't know what was next. And if you know me at all, you know that I'm a planner and I like to stay way ahead of the game, but in this area of my life, I wasn't. And I had no clue what came after or what would come after the ranch working out there. So there was a lot of tension going on inside of me, and I got out to Colorado, and I just felt like God was speaking that still small voice to me saying, trust me, trust me, I got this. And so I spent May and June serving out there, and then at the end of June, I had no clue what God would have in store But that's whenever I met Tim and Barb Cash, and it was a nothing short of just a God-orchestrated time in my life. And so anyways, out at the ranch in Colorado, there are different family camp weeks. And that specific week, the last week in June, was called Mac in the Mountains, and it was where Mac Powell from Third Day, he was out there, and that was going to be their last third day concert ever, and so he invited some of his close friends to come out there, and that included Tim and Barb, and I'm so grateful for that because the night before the concert, I so clearly remember it, we were sitting outside at the picnic tables, and Tim and Barb were sitting with my grandparents, who happened to be at the ranch that week, too, because my grandpa volunteers there. So they were out there, and that was an extra blessing, and they had connected with Tim and Barb earlier that day. So this is, keep in mind, this is the first time I met Tim and Barb, and we were just making casual conversation. I asked them where they were from, and they said the Atlanta area, And I asked them how they ended up there. And Barb said, well, we did sports ministry for a long time. And again, I was just making casual conversation and said, oh, what's that? What did you do with that? And Tim, at the other end of the table, he looked down and he said, you really want to know? And I said, yeah, I want to know. And he said, all right, well, let me finish my pie first, and then I'll tell you. So, yeah, I went down to the other end of the table, sitting across from Tim and Barb, and Tim started explaining to me some of the really cool God stories from the years past of how God had worked in players' lives and just intertwined people's stories uh, and was telling me all these incredible God stories. So 
he asked where I was at in life, though, and I gave my little speech, you know, I had just graduated, but that I had no clue really what I was doing, and I knew I wanted to go into ministry, but I didn't know exactly what that looked like, and I really just felt like I was walking in the dark with that, felt like I didn't have a lot of direction, but was still trusting God to provide, but I just had no clue how he would show up. And little did I know that a couple hours later, we were sitting at the tables that long talking. Tim said, well, how about you come and live with us and our family, and you can intern at our church. We've got an awesome youth pastor and youth ministry, and you can just kind of see what God does from there. And if you know me, you know I'm not a super impulsive person, but I immediately said, yeah, and Right before that, it flashed through my mind, like, did he really just ask me that? That doesn't just happen that a random couple asks you to come and live with them. But I knew that God was just in the midst of that whole situation. So even while I had been struggling and experiencing that tension, God had a plan all along. So with that being said, my time here in Georgia has been incredible, and I've just been blessed to be a part of this church family and a part of Tim and Barb's family. They welcomed me in like I was their own, and they've loved me and encouraged me and poured into me. I got some more siblings, which has been amazing, and I love them a lot. And I've got to work with Rick and Kara. Rick you know, Rick, he is very, there's a lot going on in that brain up there, and <laughs> I've learned so much from him and from Kara about mentoring and parenting and even all the students that I've been able to be with, and that's been awesome, and then Rachel Ramos and Cassie at the preschool and the preschool teachers that I got to work with this year. I've just learned so much about even parenting, which I don't need to, I don't feel like I need to know yet, but I know that that'll probably be in the future and just how to love people better. And Barb, I've learned so much about hospitality, how to welcome people into your home and just love them and leave them better because of having come there. And so with all that being said, I've just seen how God has done immeasurably more than I could have ever asked or imagined, and I'm so grateful for that. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things the Lord has prepared for those who love him. And I've been able to experience some of that on earth, and I know that in heaven there's more to come, and even on this earth too, but He's a good, good father, and I've just seen how he has provided. So I'm really grateful that I've been able to share my story with you guys today. But I want to uh, share a journal entry to end. Uh, this was written a year ago, so on May 3rd, 2018. Again, this is whenever I was struggling, having a lot of tension, and before I had met Tim and Barb. And I don't normally share things like this, but I just thought it was so fitting. So it says... Father, you know my struggles, you know how I'm having a hard time waiting, you know my desires and that I'm struggling to trust you. You know me better than I know any or better than anyone, including myself. My deepest heart's desire is to know you more and walk in your will for my life. Father, I pray for the grace and strength not to look back and even not to look too far forward. 
Instead, help me to focus on you and the tasks and people you have set before me today. You say that each day has enough trouble of its own, and I know that to be true. So help me to take one day at a time and realize that you are in my tomorrow, and you know the steps it will take to get me there. You know me, and I know you. You are good. You are faithful. You are enough. Help my life to reflect that truth. I love Natalie Grant's song, Help Me Want the Healer More Than the Healing. Help me want the Savior more than the saving. Help me want the giver more than the giving. Help me want you, Jesus, more than anything. My heart echoes those words. So like I said, I would have never imagined that a year later that I would be standing up on this stage sharing with you this awesome story that God has given me for my life. And I'm just really grateful I had the opportunity to share it with you all. So I'm going to hand it over to Tim Cash now. Hannah and Caleb have embraced her, Jesse. It's just, it's been phenomenal. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, we were, we were sitting under these trees out there in Estes Park, and if you've ever been to Estes Park, Colorado, it, it, it is a gorgeous, breathtaking place uh, to be. We were at this ranch, and the mountains, uh, the caps were snow-covered barb. I mean, it, it was just so gorgeous to be there. Elk were walking the streets, and we were there that night, just chilling. Now, I had already crunched a ribeye that was pretty good, and they had some pretty good pie. And I'm like, I'm going to eat before I talk to you, but if you want to hear it, I'll, I'll share it with you. But I looked in her, this is, this, is, this is totally the Holy Spirit, but I looked in those little eyes, and I'm like, it was like those little cocker spaniel puppy eyes that, that Alex had, and I got melted. And Later, she looked at Barb, and she goes, when did you know I was coming to live with you, and when did the Lord tell you? She goes, uh, we found out at the same time. <laughs> now, the bad thing, the bad thing, the bad thing, because Barb is so good with hospitality and such an incredible cook, and there's so many things I could add to that. The bad thing about sharing that story is people have come to me at times going, can I move in with y'all? <laughs> Like the Lord told us to move Alex in. Here's a problem with the way we do life. We, 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 it's crazy. I had a guy by the name of Ash from Indiana lived with us for a while. He was in some transition. I felt like the Lord. I called Barb and she goes, I know. God's telling you to move Ash in with us. I said, that's, that's right. He already told me that needed to happen. I said, okay. So we moved him in from Arizona via, he was originally from Indiana. Then we had a guy named AJ live with us for a while. His family was going through a transition, and he was a college student, so he moved in. And so I'd kind of gotten used to, like with Benji and Jesse, it was all these dudes. Well, I thought we had an Acts 2 kind of guy's frat house going on, and I could handle that. And then all of a sudden, it turned to an Acts 2 estrogen ocean sorority house. And I, we bought more toilet paper with you and Hannah. No, no, no. I was not prepared for a sorority house. I had lived in a locker room, and I was used to guys, right? So anyway, you've been a joy to have, and your faith journey and just the influence you've had on so many people has been amazing. So this series of tension, and there, there's been a lot of cool things to kind of talk about as we talk about the tension in our own lives, as we talked about being wounded versus broken, uh, as we continue to kind of unpackage what it looks like to deal with high-maintenance people and disagreeable kind of personalities and toxic people, we unpackaged that last week today, today, and I want you to take notes. 
I want to talk to you about this truth really matter. In a world uh, that we see compromising pretty much everything, you've got to ask the question, does truth matter? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, as you look around our nation right now, you've got to conclude something's not right. Something has tilted. Uh, our, our nation has become very uh, corrupt. The principles that the founding fathers some 200 plus years ago were willing to build this nation on, so what happened? Churches across the nation have become so culturally relevant, passing, uh, just pacifying people, ignoring biblical truth at times. You go, what, what, what's, what's up? Why, why are we there? This cheap, watered-down, easy believism kind of stuff that's being promoted, Josh Lee, you've got to look and go, what, 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 what happened? It's a message of compromise. It's a message of humanism. Humanism is so huge today. It's been around for a while. But humanism is on the rise, Jim, as we have talked over the years. Humanism believes this and will say this God made the universe and provided salvation for the happiness of man That's humanism Why did God create it all? Why did God provide salvation for the happiness of man? Humanism is a major proponent and pushes hedonism as a lifestyle hedonism means it's all about your personal pleasure humanism at the core says there's many roads that lead to God whichever route you want to take, it's okay. And we live in this culture right now where that's being applauded. Uh, all things exist for the happiness of men. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you want to do and chase whatever you want to chase because there's no such thing as objective truth or moral absolutes. Everything is subjective. That, that, that is the heart of humanism. That is the culture in which we live. That has become the educational system which many of our kids have attended, whether it be high school, middle school, or even in college. TCU, Texas Christian University, we can applaud saying, man, look at that, how cool. But there's all these pockets of humanism that exist. You go back and study Harvard and Yale and many of these that were founded on biblical principle and you can't find Jesus even affiliated in many of these today. There's been an extreme erosion of values over the last 50, 60 years. An extreme erosion. You go all the way back to the roadway. You go all the way back to certain things that were taking place in our nation. You go back to Woodstock, Hendricks, Cream, the doors, jamming at Woodstock. Hey, get high and get by, baby. It's all about you. It's all about love. It's all about peace. It's all about sex. And it's all about rock and roll. That was the push in the late 60s and 70s. And you go back and you start to study, when did the erosion of values get so jacked up? When did the lines between right and wrong become so muddied and blurred? When did people start to buy into this kind of mindset that it was okay? Moral absolutes disregarded. Our children are growing up in a culture right now where there's very few biblical standards being taught anywhere. The sad thing is, that includes even the church, truth has become a matter of taste, 
Morality is subjective. Subjective means you are the subject. You determine and define what it means. Objective truth, when we say that, we're talking about God as the object. And objective truth is true for all people of all places of all time. Subjective truth is you're the subject. You call it. And whatever you want it to be becomes okay. That is the culture in which we live. Evolution, applauded. Creation, ignored. And there's two big lies that even people in the church today, Rick, are buying into or have submitted to. T two huge lies. One, if you disagree with someone and you disagree with their lifestyle, you are a hater. And I, I hear that from so many people that are living in a liberal world. Oh, people that disagree with us hate us. It's not true, but it's a lie. And people go, yeah, we're going to push that argument out there. Or the second lie would be this. To love someone means you, you have to agree and be okay with everything they do. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Those are two extreme kind of viewpoints. You agree with everybody? No. Does it mean you hate them? No. Is truth narrow? Y yes. Is truth all-inclusive? No. 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 That's the culture in which we live. Twisted values, corrupt concepts, post-modern, post-biblical era. And I've studied post-modernism, which is really uh, birthed out of a lot of the humanism of our day. Postmodernists, in their core of their thinking, they do not place their belief or philosophy in any one defined category what do you believe and they're all over the map you can't define it and they will say my beliefs are personal and cannot be identified what do you believe it's personal no what what you're saying is it's private what, what do you mean by that what is truth does truth matter Postmodernists believe that truth is an, an illusion. So Matt, when you guys are at Kennesaw State, you sit there oftentimes in the, the minds and science in different pockets of these prof, profs there will say, truth is only an illusion and it's misused by people in power to intimidate or manipulate other people. It's one of the messages you'll hear people say that are postmodernist. Well, what, what are you saying? I'm saying absolute truth does not exist. That's the culture in which we live. We say absolute truth exists. There is an authority. His name is God, creator of all. He's given us the word of God we call the Bible. And we believe these 66 books are inspired by God. We believe it is profitable and useful. And we don't believe one man spoke on his own, but men moved by the Holy Spirit penned the words of God. And we believe grass will wither and flowers will fade, but the word of God will stand forever. But in our culture... Of postmodernism and humanism, we see this watered-down approach taking place. Postmodernists at the core, uh, they teach that traditional authority is false and corrupt. Do you believe in traditional authority? Yes. Because traditional authority, based on who God is, is founded in the absolutes that we call our values right here in the Word of God. Is there a traditional authority? Yes. Postmodernists will lash out against Christ-centered values and Christian morals. 
just lash out. Why? Because they've concluded that truth is subjective, and it's not. They define morality as each person's private code of ethics to be lived ever how you want to. That, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. Here's a statement. If the Bible is not our source for absolute authority, listen to me. If the Bible is not our source for absolute truth, for absolute authority, if this is not where we're going, and if personal experience is allowed to define what life is all about, then a personal relationship with Christ is meaningless. Why should you have a personal relationship with Christ? Why is Christ needed? If all roads lead to the same place and whatever you want to believe is okay, why do you need a Savior? It's because it's a lie from the pits of hell. All roads don't lead to the same place. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Second Timothy, Paul is writing some 2,000 years ago, and this prophetic word is such a perfect fit for us today. And Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy, study, show yourself approved, discipline yourself, be godly. Come on, Timothy, stay with it. Stay with it. And then he says this, mark this down. Realize this. Circle this, Timothy. In the last days, in those last days before the return of Messiah Jesus, mark it down. Difficult times are going to come. People will be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, entitled, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. They will look for teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. If you start to hold to a standard of moral absolutes and biblical authority, they will run a different direction when you start to step on their toes because they want it watered down. They want an easy believism. They want to continue to live in whatever sin they want to live in but acknowledge that they're Christians. Be, be, beware. In the last days, difficult times are going to come. They're men of depraved minds. And they're opposed to the truth. Does truth matter? Timothy, in the last days, they're, they're going to be opposed to the truth. They're going to live out of their depravity. They're going to disregard what God has said. And we live in a society today of compromise. It's compromise. A working definition of compromise, even when you look here at 2 Timothy 3, the word means to erode, to diminish. And at the purest just foundational level, when you think of compromise in our culture, it really means uh, you must make accommodation for someone who doesn't even have any type of like set boundaries or foundation, but you must be okay with that. And we said that tolerance, based on G.K. Chesterton a few weeks ago, tolerance is the virtue for the man with no conviction, which society says you got to tolerate everything. Really, that's where we've gotten as a culture. Remember my gen? I graduated in 1980. 
Remember as a little kid going to elementary school? I remember segregation, but I also remember walking in and standing there and saying, I pledge allegiance to the flag. I remember being able to pray. I remember before sporting events, holding hands and with my team, basketball, baseball, basketball, and being able to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I remember walking out of school as a fourth grader, fifth grader, and these men in suits with these boxes standing there handing out Gideon New Testaments. What happened? What happened? You're talking about an erosion. What, what happened? And compromise seeks to eliminate objective blueprints. Gandhi, one of the great leaders, he made this observation, and I find it very fascinating. Gandhi said, all compromise is based on give and take. But there can be no give and take on fundamentals. Any compromise is surrender because it's all give and it's no take. We want you to compromise. I do not teach that in marriage. I do not teach that in parenting. I do not teach that in life. Even in marriage years ago, people said, hey, Tim, you know the key to a good marriage is learning to compromise. Compromise is a death word. Compromise is a defeat word. Compromise says give up some of who you are, and it encourages the other person, give up some of who you are and meet in the middle. The person who says meet me halfway is always a poor judge of distance anyway. Compromise. Let's co We're not negotiating truth. It's been said that the quest for peace often leads to negotiated Slain truth. I'm not going to negotiate that. It's impossible to experience abundant life, true life, Rick, that you talked about when divine truth and moral absolutes do not exist. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writing to the believers in Colossae said this, don't let anyone lead you astray. Don't let anybody lead you astray. Don't let them lead you astray with empty philosophy high-sounding nonsense that comes from humanistic human thinking, which really comes from the evil powers of this world. Don't be led astray from Christ. Peter would write, 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your lives. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Don't let anyone lead you astray. Refuse to compromise. And the only way you can refuse to compromise is for you to completely surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, Jesus said, he who belongs to God hears and obeys what God says. You, you belong to God? Then I know that you want to hear and obey what God says. You're not going to live a life of compromise because you say, I belong to God. And our nation today and our churches today are flooded with people who say, I belong to God and live like hell. They compromise. They've negotiated. They a la carte and cut and paste, which means I'll take a verse here and a verse there and build whatever theology of convenience I want to live by. Jesus said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. He goes on to say, my sheep 
Listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My, my sheep listen to my voice. They obey me, they hear my word, and they actually act on it. What are you saying? I'm saying as you graduate, for all of us, the gospel is costly. Jesus invites us to come and deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Is it costly? Yes. Is there compromise? Y yes. In our society, there is. And as soon as you take a stand, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be attacked. Erwin Lutzer, I read a book a few years back called When a Nation Forgets God. L-U-T-Z-E-R, Lutzer. When a nation forgets God. And he lays out the ramifications of what it looks like to drift away from moral absolutes and objective truth. He's like, hey man, here's what a nation looks like. And he ended up using some of the stuff that Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller, during their stance against uh, Hitler and his socialized uh, experiment that he was doing to kill all the Jews. Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and said, we're not, we're not gonna bow to that, we're not gonna compromise. We're not going to negotiate. And if you go back and study the church during Bonhoeffer's time, him and Niemöller, they were starting to give up so much ground. And Drew, he ends up writing a thing called the confessing church versus the compromising church. What, what does a confessing church look like and what does a compromising church look like? This was written back some 80 years ago. Late 30s, 40s. Well, what, what does it look like? He said, in the confessing church, Jesus is Lord of all. But in the compromising church, they accommodate Christ to fit culture. Where can we sneak Jesus in? The confessing church holds true to the word of God in spite of opposition. It does not bend. It does not negotiate. The compromising church will modify the word of God because of opposition. This is stuff that Bonhoeffer and these guys were standing on. It cost them their lives. About 80% of the pastors bowed and fell into the compromising mindset. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, one of the greatest things you'll read, he says, no, we're not going to negotiate. No, we will not bow. Hitler is a madman. We've got to stay strong and true to the Word of God. Point three said the confessing church puts the kingdom of God above all customs and culture. The compromising church puts their society ahead of the kingdom of God. For us here at the Cross Loganville, I will always look at culture, whatever is going on, and I will pour this pour culture through the word of God. And if something going on in culture makes it through the word of God, cool. But I will never pour this through culture and allow just whatever culture says is okay to be stood on. This is truth. This is foundational. This is what I'm building the cross Loganville on. We're not going to compromise. But in the compromising church, we're going to a la carte. We're going to cut and paste. The confessing church, 
This is what Bonhoeffer and these guys said. The confessing church will change their methods of preaching. I'm like, that's true. We confess Christ, but we're looking for methodology to be as, as clear, but we're not going to touch theology. We'll change our methods. The compromising church will change the message they preach. Changing the message. Have you seen that happen? Yes. Years ago, I was watching a guy who I thought to be a very clever orator. His name was Rob Bell. Rob Bell had come out with a Numa series. It was good. He had some good stuff in that. He had written a book called Velvet Elvis. It was pretty good. And then all of a sudden, there's this shift, and Rob Bell starts moving into a universalist mindset. Rob Bell writes a book called Love Wins and says that all people go to heaven. All roads are going to lead you there. God's too loving. He would never allow a person to be condemned to hell. And so Rob comes out with this universalist stance, and Oprah, who is new age, endorses Rob. There was only about three or 4,000 copies of it in circulation at the time when I got a copy of Paul Young's book, The Shack. There was a lot of intriguing stuff in The Shack. Paul Young came to Atlanta, and he ended up sitting down with me and some of the guys and ended up having about a two-hour talk with Paul. The Shack. National attention movie's been made. Paul, based on the way you have positioned certain statements, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father? And he goes, Tim, I believe Jesus Christ is a way to the Father. You see, the compromising church is fully alive in the states today. You're changing the message that you preach. Don't do that. Now, I'm passionate about this, guys, because I've seen so many people erode and fade and drift. The confessing church desires the praise of God. The compromising church desires the praise of man. The confessing church is a minority in church and state, the compromising church wants to be a mainstream with church and state. The confessing church will be penalized by the state government. The compromising church will be applauded by the state government. I mean, if we've been around the faith at all, we know something's bad. The confessing church will speak the power of the gospel and truth, and grace, and love, the compromising church conforms to those in power. I was talking to a buddy of mine this week. He's a Christian counselor over in North Atlanta. He said, so you still cash believe in the lordship of Jesus and repentance? I said, Bruce, I'm so glad you do too, brother. I'm so glad you do. Bruce, don't, don't, don't give up ground. Don't negotiate truth. Don't do it. I, I remember watching years ago, and there's been all this battle in politics here recently with life issues and the battle with abortion and the protection of life. But I remember, remember our former president, 
When Clinton was in office, this big battle was taking place, and Mother Teresa had come to the states and had been given platform to speak at the National Day of Prayer. And Mother Teresa said, how can y'all, as a nation, expect God to bless you when you're killing all these babies? She said that. And our former president said, well, the real question, I believe, is when does the soul enter into the fetus? Now, that's the question we must deal with, is when does the soul enter into this so-called fetus? And I'm watching, and I, I wish... I'm like, please give me audience. I, I want to hear how you really do reason. I want to hear if you're a puppet on a string or if that's really the argument you're holding on to. When does the soul enter? So let's conclude and say that science can prove that the soul does not enter until six months post-birth. Are you okay with killing a human being three months after they're born? You, you see, it's a fallacious argument that you're using to justify what you're doing. What, what, what are you saying? I'm saying we celebrated Mother's Day last week. And Benji and Grace, we celebrated her being a mom for the first time. Her due date is in August, but life starts at conception, not at delivery. And we know the pain. And I will tell you this while I'm there. You come in here today and you're battling guilt and shame because you went through a time where you were alienated and separated and distant from God. And you're like, I went the abortion route and it's killing me today. Stand up, Mama Kay. This lady will be here at the end with a team. She has shared her testimony. She has shared the healing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She stands on truth. This dear lady has got a team of women. They will love you and walk with you. To receive that forgiveness of Christ to be able to move into the future. Whatever your story is, whatever your narrative is, whatever you're going through, I mean, the real question you've got to ask is, am I seeking the approval of man? Or am I really seeking the approval of God? Galatians 1.10, that's what he says. Am I seeking man's approval? If so, I couldn't be a servant of Christ. I'm seeking Christ and him alone. Paul would say, I've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless, it's not I that lives. But it's now Christ that lives in me. The life I'm now living, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whether you're a student coming out of high school, coming out of college, or whether you're a student still in the process of learning and being changed and transformed every day. Here's my encouragement. Today can be a day of surrender and release. There will be a team of us, Rick and Kara. They'll be here, Alex. There'll be a team of us that would love to intercede and pray with you today. Tim, I don't even know the Lord. You can step out here in a few moments and say, I want to surrender. I need help. Maybe you say, I I've asked Christ to save me, but I've drifted so far. It's time to repent violently and say, I've got to come back to truth. God loves you. You're here today by a divine assignment and a divine appointment from God.
just like as Alex and I and Barb sat underneath those little trees out there in Estes Park. It's like, ask her. Ask her. She's trying to figure it out if she wants to come and hang. And I believe the Savior is saying, hey, you're trying to figure it out? Today is the day that you come and hang and get this stuff right. Right, Tara, baby? It will change your life. Pat, today is the day to violently repent and get it right. Every person under my voice, today is the day. Don't negotiate one more day. Repent and surrender to truth. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.